Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans too, so get over to PacoCollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had, and don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You guys, I'm so excited. For the first time ever, the dog people of the internet are going to be gathering together in person. Worked Up Camp. It's a three-day camp September 29th through October 1st in Port Orchard, Washington. It's for you, the dog people of the internet, who have participated in in in-person Worked Up seminars and online Worked Up classes. We're going to gather to progress those skills that you learned in the seminars or in the classes. We're going to do arousal layering games. We're going to take those to the next level. We're going to focus on those clean training practices that you have learned are so important. We're going to get you in and out of the ring. So how do you actually apply these worked up skills to a competition-like setting? And what do you do in competition when things go wrong and you can't do a cookie scatter? It's going to be all of that and so much more. And the best part is going to be this amazing community of people who I have seen come together online to support each other as you work with your worked up dogs and support and love your worked up dogs. I can't wait, and I hope you're excited too. So join the Facebook event page. Just search for Worked Up Camp on Facebook to find the event, and then click interested or going, and then you'll get all of the updates about it as we continue to produce those updates. And of course, at any time, if you've got questions about anything, shoot me an email, cognitivecanine at gmail.com. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey guys, I am coming to you from Australia, near Sydney, Australia, and I'm sitting here with my friend Frankie Moore, who is a an agility competitor and also a certified canine fitness trainer. And we were just talking about some of the parallels between um, starting a dog really young for agility and maybe maybe starting a dog before they're physically prepared to do what we're asking. And then where I'm coming from, my side of things would be also starting a dog before they're mentally prepared to do what we're asking. And I think there are a lot of cultural similarities. So, hey, Frankie, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. It's Frankie here. We're so excited to get to talk. You guys can probably hear the water, the pool noise behind us because we're sitting here 
in the shade of the trees next to a pool because that's my life and it's really awesome. Um, <laughs> so I see culturally in America um, a lot of people just kind of in a rush, in a rush to get in the ring, in a rush to get competing, um, and they don't necessarily actively teach their dogs the skills like being able to be calm ringside or being able to wait for their turn um, or just reinforce their skills like returning a toy voluntarily um, or understanding you know different marker signals pertaining to their reinforcers I feel like people skip that stuff and and some people maybe aren't aware that that stuff is even a good idea I think for people's first dog that's definitely usually the case um, but I also think that there are people who kind of know those skills are necessary, but they expect their dogs to just kind of pick them up as they go. And sometimes we get really fortunate and we have a dog that makes us look really good and they do pick that stuff up yeah. as we go. Do you feel like that's the same in fitness training or, you know, conditioning, preparing the dog physically for what we want them to do? Absolutely. I definitely see here an eagerness for young dogs, especially if it's a second dog, to get them into the ring, to be ring ready by the time they're 18 months. You know, they, a lot of people really want to be having their dogs ready to go and by the time that the rules state that the dog can be in the ring. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that they're finished growing for a start or that they're physically finished uh, being prepared to do a lot of uh, fitness or a lot of physical work, which agility is. It definitely is. And um, so it's legal to run a dog at 18 months here. Yep. That's right. the same in the States. And even one organization allows 15 months. Wow. And I've always kind of felt physically and mentally that there might be an occasional dog who's mature enough yep. at that time to start. But that doesn't mean that they were mature yeah. enough mentally or physically um you know, the year ago yeah. that you've started training because I think we all agree that it takes more than a month yeah. to train a dog um, in agility, to yeah. train a dog to do all of the equipment and all of the handling skills. And so if you're starting the dog at 15 or 18 months, you probably did start really young. So yeah. how young, um, how young are the dogs here when they start sequencing usually in training? So. Uh, it's really trendy to have your dog up and running by the time they're six to eight months. So that's, you know, doing a simple tunnel wing, tunnel wing. Yeah, sure. That's a sequence. Um, by the time that they're six months, you know, they're running through tunnels, going around, wrapping tightly around wings. And so people are then building on that for novice abilities. So they're teaching all of those kind of activities through sequencing between the ages of you know six to eight months right through to 13 months where the prime time of growing where the plates are right. closing they're starting to put bars up uh, you're, it's popular to see dogs doing low bars uh, yeah. because it's believed that that's actually okay for the dog to be doing that kind yeah. of concussive activity even though they're still growing they are still growing and it is like you said concussive they actually you know just because the bar is low doesn't mean there's no impact and you know there would be a difference between um i guess just jumping straight over a, a really tiny bar but that's not what we're doing we're asking them to wrap tightly we're asking them to 
sprint and um, accelerate and also decelerate. Do you see, um, what kind of injuries are you guys seeing here and how, how common are injuries? Because I think that in the States, what's interesting to me is we're becoming more and more aware of injuries. Yeah. And yet continuing to do yeah. um, all of this stuff with puppies. Yeah. So um, in terms of statistics, I probably don't have a lot of numbers around that, but uh, anecdotally, you have uh, wrist and leg limping, a lot of that happening. So people will say, oh, my dog pulled up lame really often, whether it's a front foot or a back foot. Um, so whether it's a shoulder injury or something associated with an iliopsoas or yeah. a rear leg ACL tear could be. Um, those kind of injuries are really common. But if it's a limping that the dog's showing or a lameness, people tend to kind of work through it and then put the dog back to work. So And that's like day yeah. of. Yeah, like, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So the dog might come out of the crate limping. Yeah, be on rest for a couple of runs and then go back to a run later that day. Sure. Yeah, there's, sure. there's definitely that kind of, it's okay, the dog will be fine. I think people don't really think about how their dog is presenting with the problem and probably don't have the information or the knowledge really to understand what impact or where that could have come from. So whether it's uh, contact um, running down the bottom of an A-frame and hitting their shoulders down the bottom into a stop contact, for example, or whether it's running quickly up a dog walk yeah. Uh, where they're really putting pressure on the rear end and their their ACLs in that in that regard. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of information that can be gained. And then, from my perspective, I feel like I see the same thing. Yeah. But the just the dogs are not um, doing well in their heads. Yeah. So they're, you know, kind of screaming ringside, unable to hold their start line. Um, Maybe blasting through bars, maybe yeah. you know, <laughs> failing to <laughs> hit their contact or whatever. Um, and I definitely hear people say, "Oh, you know, it's just a baby, just a baby. That's normal baby dog stuff." And um, for me, when we're first running, what I really would like to see is a dog that is even more mentally capable because yeah. they don't yet know just how fun this is. Yeah. <laughs> Or I would like it if they didn't yet know. Yeah. Um, so I feel like there's definitely, there's almost a cultural parallel, I think, yeah. of skipping um, that fitness foundation or training foundation in order to kind of get yeah. to the sequencing or get to the competition. Absolutely. Um, so from my perspective, I would like it if kind of all agility instructors had a better understanding of um, preparing the dog mentally for competition and my kind of big bullet points would be reinforcer skills so marker signals um, pertaining to food and toys and then toy skills specifically being conflict free so no coercion the dog voluntarily returns toys um, easily and then I'd like also there to be a beginning of the run routine and an end of the run routine that are trained and clear so the dog really understands uh, how to consent to the run, how to say that they're ready, and then they understand where their reinforcers are coming from at the yeah. end of the run. And I think we could get a, get rid of a lot of you know, biting the handler at the end of the run or running out of the ring at the end of the run yeah. problems if we did a better job with that. So those would be some of my main bullet points. 
um, as well as the dog understanding when they're working and when they're not, yeah. I think would be a big bullet point for me. So do you have some some similar bullet points for for yeah. fitness or just kind of physical preparedness? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, in the first instance, the dog should have a really good overall postural strength. Mm. It's not just about the core for a dog. It, uh, for me, it's really about their neck muscles, their shoulder muscles, all of the muscles down the spine and flank, right into their rear end and, and the uh, power muscles within the legs that propel them forwards, especially for agility because jumping is such an important part of that. Mm. And so some really basic things such as toxic kickback stand, Stand with it down to stand yeah. with, with amazing form. It has yeah. to be perfect form. So if you're starting that stuff as a puppy, one of the best bullet points to start with is do they do a really nice sit? Do they have a good square sit, a good square stand, a good square drop? And then building on that. So then building to the stand, uh, drop stand, the tuck sit, kick back stand, and using the rock back, stand, uh, rock back sit excuse yeah. me, yeah. as well to help with building that. Um, postural strength and then neck muscles so can they do a bow position put their nose down to their toes and then stretch upwards so that they're building their neck muscles upwards and downwards for jumping strength and um, then I guess it's really about being able to propel themselves forward so a lot of that kind of imitation of jump position strength yeah so it's a little bit of squatting to a balance pad or squatting up into a platform and then sitting back down again and then the shoulder strength on the other side so sitting on a platform a stable platform and putting their feet on the ground and being able to sit back up on that platform again and that's a basic start for a lot of puppies and just walking is also another point so making sure that they have a lot of um, exercise out and about so endurance will be built out of just walking um, or being out and about on a walk for 20 minutes a day or less even if that's okay 10 to 20 minutes a day they're the kind of basic things I would be looking at and then starting to build up on um, balance so when we're thinking about how they manage a contact so whether it's a seesaw or a dog walk or an A-frame how they balance running up and down those obstacles in particular so being able to imitate some balance and balance work so weight shifting is a key part of uh, the balance strength I'm I'm feeling like there's even another parallel that I didn't think of which is that in order to actually teach our dogs yeah. all of these behaviors yeah. they again have to have these nice reinforcer yeah. skills because if they're frantic about their reinforcers yeah. you know I'm sure that you hear people complain all the time that you know they can't get these nice clean behaviors yeah. because the dog is just frantically throwing behaviors yeah. out as soon as um, you sit down with a clicker and yeah. food. And so that's a dog that has probably a history of frustration and shaping. Yeah. Um, and we've just got to get more clear in our training skills so that we can get those nice clean movements. Absolutely. Um, because otherwise you, you're not ever going to see the clean movements. That's the dog right. is flinging its body all over the place. Yeah. When I watch a dog, um, who has just really gorgeous body control yeah. over itself, yeah. um, go through these movements that you're describing. It's a really incredible thing. Mm -hmm. And when I walk around at an, at an agility trial, 
I find it hard to imagine most of those dogs being able to do that, whether it's a physical issue or a mental issue or yeah. both. Yeah. Um, so I would say what a great place to start with puppies to just teach them um, that stillness and clean, deliberate movement will yeah. actually be reinforced. Yeah. I think it's so trendy in agility and it has been for a while to teach puppies to do all kinds of yeah. wild, outrageous things with their bodies, yeah. like walking on their front feet, yeah. you know, handstands, um, squeezing all four of their feet in, into a tiny little cup or yeah. like, you know, all of these crazy cool looking tricks yeah. that might be great to teach at some point. But, um, again, we're skipping the good stuff. Like we're yeah. skipping this really important stuff of, um, just teaching them that stillness will be yep. actually reinforcing yep. that flinging out your body with frantic behaviors. Yeah. I hope you guys are hearing these birds right now. Because <laughs> I feel like every time I hear a bird, I look at Frankie and go, and what kind of what bird, bird is that? Is it? <laughs> because it's outrageous to me that they're like, cockatoos and lorikeets and all of these amazing, beautiful yeah. birds here. Anyway, that was just a side point. Um, so, what, where do you start? Like if you've got an eight or 10 week old puppy, mm -hmm. um, what's your first kind of, do you just literally go, okay, we're going to teach you a nice clean sit and we're going to teach you a nice clean down. And what if the puppy's physically not capable yet? Like yep. I, I know some breeds, yep. you know, like your slower maturing breeds, like yep. a Labrador or something might literally not be able to do a, yep. a, a nice square sit until they're older. So then do you wait yep. to teach that sit? So talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, for me, it's really important. The first thing is the learning culture. So the, having a bond between myself and the dog to do stuff together whether it's just simply teaching them that a clicker delivers really good food yeah. uh, so that they get a reward for a really cool noise or if they're scared of the clicker then putting it in my sleeve and yeah. helping them yeah. through that but getting to understand my dog's personality first so that you know I know where to start with with them and then secondly it is about teaching them how to move their body so it doesn't have to be perfect for a puppy I'm not expecting a puppy that's eight weeks old to 12 weeks old to sit in a beautiful sit. If they do naturally do that, then yes, absolutely, yeah. I'm going to pay it really well. But um, And then I will build on that. But if they don't, it's not about that. First, it's about, wow, you can sit. You get a really cool treat for that. So it's rewarding the behavior and then cleaning it up as they get older. So whilst their joints are really supple, it might, some dogs, as you mentioned, the older, um, the older they get, um, it can be quick that their joints come together and form together or if they're a bigger or a larger breed then it's going to take more time so for example with my dog Nova for him I started doing beautiful sit forms at about six months old so I waited all of that time to play with him because he had a tendency to have a splay sit so I kind of guessed yeah. he had a bit of a supple yeah. um, hip joint and I was waiting for that to form up naturally so that he had enough strength within his body to do that. In the meantime, he did learn sit, he did learn a nice drop position, but he didn't have to keep it for any length of time until he was at least six months old. So, um, yeah, I think that's really taking it as the dog comes, but that's definitely the first start. And then playing tricks with them, so whether it's 
playing with a toy or putting a paw in your hand. The basics of being able to build strength around form. So putting a paw in your hand and holding it in a sit position is a nice uh, stability exercise uh, yeah, yeah. and can build from there. I think so, people don't think of those yeah. those things as being yeah. strength building. Like yeah, I think absolutely. again, in the same sense that people think I'm not training agility unless I'm running over low bars and putting the dog yeah. in tunnels. They think I'm not training fitness unless the dog is on a peanut Absolutely. or, you know, something like that. And yeah. we forget that we really do have to start at the beginning yeah. and, you know, think about human fitness too. And in the yeah. sense that you can't walk into the gym and go straight to the, yeah. you know, heavy weights machine and go crazy. Yeah. Like, I mean, first of all, you're crazy anyway, if you even want to, but that's just me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think people don't think about the fact that you actually are building strength yep. the whole time yeah. as you're teaching foot targeting and as you're teaching yep. sits and downs yeah there's no reason to you know go crazy and you know, right. do all of these wild things when there's when they're so little yeah and the other point I'd make is about proprioception yeah. a lot of people who train for puppies for agility really think proprioception is about backing up onto a mat or upstairs or onto a box or something yeah. like that. But proprioception in its real form is really about the dog being able to find out where its body goes when something's in the way. In more of a natural yeah, movement too. Because walking backwards is not. No, It's exactly. not a natural movement for a dog. So, I mean, I would start with just scattering toys in, around a room or a puppy pen and letting the dog play around it and play with its body around those things and yeah. kind of discover itself how its own body moves around obstacles that are in its way without any kind of guided yeah. direction and then building on that stuff because they do learn to pick up their feet and move their body and tumble and and learn how to be a puppy but at the same time it's all about proprioception i remember now when felix was a baby i set up his little puppy x pen kind of in the middle of the house and leslie put um a, a disc, a fitness disc that wasn't fully inflated right at the entrance and exit so that for him to come in and out of the X-Men, he had to kind of navigate the yeah. disc. Yeah. And it was really fun to watch him at first, and he could go around it if he wanted. Yeah. So at first kind of squeeze around it, but then like hop right on it and then yeah. hop out of the pen. And um, I just remember thinking, what a nice natural way for him to yeah. learn. And then that, for me, comes back to when I watch my dogs run through a forest and up and down a trail, I see them really figuring their bodies out. Yeah. Um, jumping over logs. I mean, they do amazing things. Jump over logs. They go under logs. They um, propel up the hill and they slow down going down the hill. Maybe Felix doesn't slow down, but as we know, he gets yeah. himself into trouble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... I think that's kind of the same thing that yeah. you're talking about is yeah. actually just putting them in more natural situations yeah. so they're not always in these artificial situations yeah. where there is no natural learning about their body. Yeah. Um, and then paying attention to them. Like you said, Nova, and Nova's a border collie, but he took, you know, that first six months to be able to have these nice movements. Whereas I would say Iggy, by the time she was three months, could do any of that stuff yeah. really perfectly. Um, there's, I thought of another kind of interesting parallel that, um, I only have anecdotal evidence for, but that I have witnessed the faster mentally maturing dogs are usually also faster physically maturing. Yeah. 
usually they're going, those things are going together. Um, I would call Felix slow maturing in both areas, in both um, physical and mental. And I think there's a little bit of boy versus girl there too. I think that my (laughs) girls generally are faster maturing in both areas. But um, do you witness that too with different breeds um, in that, you know, maybe these larger breeds that we're talking about that take longer for their body to um, just be able to do these things, but they're also physically not grown up yet. So definitely true. It's um, in the larger breeds here in Australia, particularly who are participating in agility. So your retrievers, your um, German shorthead pointers, you will see that, you know, I mean, and even the working border collies who are coming into the sport now who are really tall, you know, they're growing really quickly, but they're not mentally catching up with their bodies. And so I think this is where that, you know, that parallel definitely plays out. And the other thing is we were just talking about that beautiful, you know, them discovering their own bodies and having some control over their own bodies. The good thing about that is even if they're not mentally mature, when we're starting to ask them to do things or if they're they're mentally incapable of doing work, they're saving themselves a little bit because they have a natural ability to manage their bodies. So even though they can't think, they're not as likely to hurt themselves if they're physically able to control their bodies because they're they've got a second nature around that almost so that that's yeah. something i don't see as much of in a lot of dogs who are competing in agility definitely the higher level trainers uh who take their dogs for long walks and and do kind of like a cross training mm-hmm. with their dogs so they do a variety of training with their dogs you definitely see their dogs are able to manage themselves physically early on so definitely, yeah, definitely i remember um you know, somebody asked Sylvia Turkman a long time ago when kind of people were just starting to admire like her running contacts and um, her stuff was just starting to get on the out on the internet and people were like, you know, your dogs seem to, I and she was, you know, constantly posting some of the fastest times at, at every competition and whatever. And she said, it's not about training. It's about the fact that my dogs hike every day at least two hours every day and she was always posting these pictures of you know outrageous snow-capped mountains and all of these things um and she is one of the people i think who has popularized a lot of the wild tricks for puppies um and so i have to give her a shout out though and say that i think her dogs have such um such capability over their bodies more because of the natural stuff that she does and I don't think that she would disagree with that and there's a lot of people who I mean when I start talking to people about behavior problems um, surrounding agility one of the first questions I ask is always what kind of exercise does your dog actually get and I am continually shocked to hear how little off-leash time their dogs actually have um, they'll say, oh, we do all this fitness training and then we do agility training and, you know, then maybe we go on a leash walk around the neighborhood. Maybe a lot yeah. of people still don't even do that. Yeah. Um, and that varies from place to place in America. I've definitely found that out that some places have more off leash exercise opportunities than others. What's the culture surrounding off leash exercise in Australia? I think it's very much like the States. It depends on what you have access to. Yeah. And it depends on where you live. So a lot of uh, agility is 
you know, it's still a really white collar sport. Yeah. And so a lot of people who play agility have suburban houses with backyards. And so their dogs will get a walk around the block or walk in the general area or time in the backyard playing. Um, and then there's also the side of agility where there's a lot of dogs in agility also get like acreage or you know rural lifestyles where they are on a farm area or in a rural area and they are getting walks. Um, beachside walks aren't as common as I'm sure a lot of people would like them to be right. generally because we're more restrictive around dogs on beaches in Australia. Um, so yeah, it's a real mix but gen- generally when people are coming into the sport they're coming from a suburban backyard scenario where generally their dog goes to the local dog park and runs around with a bunch of other dogs and then there comes are dog back parks to that everywhere only. here yes that's yeah. one thing that i will say yeah that i've noticed yeah. that there are dog parks everywhere yeah and they tend not to be i'm sure that some of the i'm sure that this isn't the same across the board but the ones that i've seen because there are so many you know we will have like maybe one per you know each kind of urban or suburban area and it won't be very big and so there's like it seems just like this packed crazy party Mm -hmm. um that a lot of dogs really couldn't socially tolerate yeah the ones that i've seen here are fully fenced and more wide open yeah um so maybe a little bit more accessible for even the dogs that aren't you know super socially savvy yeah Yeah, i think the parks are generally bigger so it Mm -hmm. gives dogs the chance to kind of figure out where in the park they want to be but the humans probably don't interact as much as they should do with the dog no they're standing in the middle (laughs) talking to each other right (laughs) exactly letting the dogs run riot yeah (laughs) so yeah look i think that that whole idea around um fitness for dogs especially dogs who are playing sport is starting to take off and people are really starting to get that you know they do need to even if they're just weekend warriors and they're doing agility on the weekend that their dog still needs to be fit to be able to do the you know four obstacle courses a day at speed and so I think that's becoming more popular but the longer walks the hiking the ability for a dog to just be a dog on a walk and have that kind of I guess release from the the natural trappings of life um, is not so popular here. Well, I feel that that's mostly the same in the States as well, although I think it, in certain areas it's definitely changing. So hopefully hopefully that changes. But um, I think it is. I mean, I think that culturally just the success of my Worked Up program is telling me that things are changing as far as the way that people want to train and interact with their dogs. Yeah. And then the... Um, really you know big surge of interest in actual fitness training um lots of companies coming out producing equipment for that i think that we're seeing cultural changes in both areas and i think they're going to continue to kind of go hand in hand the way that they have um so far yeah i think in australia it's really just a budding industry and um, in the last six months even that interest has grown phenomenally and I'm really really excited that lots of people are really interested in it and also becoming um, canine fitness trainers yeah. and canine fitness therapists it's really exciting that that is actually becoming more of a normal thought 
Yeah. As opposed to just, I have a problem and now I need one of these people. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it's good. It's a great time. It's a great time. It's good. So Frankie, where can people find you if they are interested in having you um, work with them on some fitness training with their dogs? So my company is called Agility Fit and my website is agilityfit.com.au. So I'm based in Australia. Good. Uh, and you've got an Agility Fit Facebook page as I well, do. right? Yeah. And I'm also on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram. And I do one-on-ones. I do group classes. I also train agility and um, foundations for puppies, so teenage puppies. So it's all about body awareness and bonding awesome. with the owner. Really good. Um, and I'm in, locally, I'm based in St. Ives and Castle Hill. Awesome. Thank you, Frankie. This Thank is great. You. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.